You know, we're continuing our series tonight in Exodus. And uh, I want to be careful that we don't miss this moment. Right? Like, and interestingly enough, as you think about this moment, that is, the first two baptisms that have taken place in the lives, in the life of this church, which uh, in many ways uh, seems uh, fair enough long overdue. Like this is what we've been left Missio, been sent by Missio Church into the northern suburbs to see God do, bring people to faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of the gospel and through the lives of people who represent that gospel. So, uh, but, but it, even as all the details and where we're doing the towels and, you know, is it snowing too hard? Should I really go? Like, all the logistics going on. We can't miss out on what really is going on here. New life has occurred. Amen? People have heard the gospel through his people, and they've embraced it. They've given their lives to Jesus. And I think as a congregation, we don't want to miss the significance of that. Maybe more appropriately put, let's not forget this moment. In the midst of the renovation at renovation down the street, and the demoing and the foyer and the sanctuary and the sound and the chairs. And we are all really excited about the generosity of God that's given us this opportunity. And we're excited about that. That's okay. But this is a moment we cannot forget. This is what all the other things are really all about. This is why we're doing what we're doing. So that men and women and children hear the gospel the good news that Jesus is enough, that there doesn't need to be any more work or effort done on our part to please God, that, that Jesus is sufficient, and all we have to do is rely upon Him, and they take that and they receive it, and they now are united to that reality by faith and through baptism. That's what we are all about. Let's not forget this moment. And then to some degree, it hits me like a ton of bricks. That's basically what we're looking at in Exodus chapter 13. Don't miss this moment, Israel. Don't forget whose you are. Don't forget how you have been redeemed by me. Basically, is what God is doing. In the midst of all the things that will take place in the future of this nation, God in this moment, in Exodus 13, Yahweh is commun communicating with his people, and he's saying, Don't miss this moment. Don't forget. So let's turn there to Exodus 13. And while I was preparing the message, I was like, well, should we preach on baptism? You know, it's kind of goofy to be in the midst of Exodus and be on baptism. Well, again, I think it's going to hit us like a ton of bricks in a good way, of course. That the Lord has brought this text 
for this time, in this place, right now, for you people and myself. So let's read it together, shall we? Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. I want you to follow along with me. And this is right after, remember, the Passover, the moment where a nation, Egypt, the most powerful one in the world, had suffered catastrophic loss of their firstborn sons at the judgment of the Lord. And at the very same time, another nation, Israel, had experienced the mercy of God for salvation just on the basis of a substitute sacrifice, the lamb and the blood of that lamb that was over the doorposts. So that the blood of the substitute that died in their place, so they didn't have to die, that when the destroyer, the angel of death, came all throughout the land of Egypt, he would what? Pass over. That the blood of the lamb saved Israel from death. And so after this, we read these words. Verse 1 of chapter 13, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. And then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No, no leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. In the house of slavery. 
For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of men and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that are first opened in the womb. But all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand, or frontlets between your eyes. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. You know, every 37.6 seconds in the Maisie house, you quite possibly, more so probably, will hear the word, MINE! And sometimes it's the kids. <laughs> I just saw that now. I think it's fun. <laughs> Mine! Right? Someone is taking claim to something. Give me that back. It's mine. Right? Obviously, human nature. For us to hold tight to what we think is ultimately ours, whether it be a Christmas gift that someone's messing with, or a prized uh, a, a possession that we have. And again, it's not just the children, is it? It's the nature of who we are as human beings. We like to claim something as our own, and we want to keep everyone else away from it. It's mine. It's not yours. Don't touch it. You have no right to this. It's mine. Maybe an exaggeration, 37 point whatever seconds, but probably 41 seconds. And again, usually, or sometimes, it's the children. I'll never forget uh, in talking with a relative that, that doesn't know or have a relationship with Jesus and talking to them about how we use our financial resources, and what they are, their gift, and their gift to be steward, stewarded, I'm sorry. And that relative looking at me and saying, no, 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 I worked for this. It's mine. Maybe an extreme example, but I think those extreme examples wake us up to the reality that there's something inside of our heart that wants to take claim and to own, to have full sovereign control and to keep everyone else at bay from enjoying its pleasures. This is really, in the first couple of verses, what the Lord is doing. He's looking at uh, the nation and looking at families and saying this, mine, all your firstborn sons, all even the firstborn males of the beasts, guess what? Mine. He's taking claim to what he believes is rightfully his, and he is saying that all those who are firstborn, both man and beast, guess what? Is mine. All the firstborn are mine. Seems odd. Maybe a little unfair. Maybe the Lord showing a little favoritism. Why would the Lord take claim over just the firstborn? Is that unfair? Is that favoritism? Well, if we understand the significance of the firstborn in the family, the firstborn son, 
We know this, as James Jordan points out, he said, the firstborn son signified the center and the future of the family. And as Philip Reichen goes on to say, the point of consecrating the firstborn was really to show that the whole family belonged to God. The firstborn stood for the family as a part representing the whole, the whole, basically saying, kind of like the captain of the team. Right? For King Christmas. Or my favorite, don't tell anybody, Trevor Cooney. Reminds me of a little bit of my old school days where I missed a lot of shots. But you know, Trevor Cooney, every once in a while, you know, you never know. He might knock a few down. Captains of the team. In claiming the firstborn son of the family, the Lord is claiming the whole family. Don't miss that. It's not favoritism. He's saying, all you people are mine. And so the Lord is staking claim to what is rightfully his. And in saying the, the firstborn, he's saying, the first of you, the best of you, is mine. Really, all of you, anything that you have, is mine. He considers all his. And yet we have to see this, again, going back to Exodus 4.22, where Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, or at least the Lord is telling Moses to say this to Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn, what? Son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve. The Lord is taking claim to those who are rightfully his. And in baptism, we celebrate this fact. We are the Lord's. We are the Lord's. It's, it's true. As the people of God, we are his people. We belong to him. The first of us, the best of us, is his. We can take no claim to anything as the people of God. That ultimately, it is his. We are his. 1 Corinthians 6, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You're not your own. Through creation, through redemption, which we see here. Exodus being the picture of redemption. Through redemption, we know that we are the Lord's. God paid the price for that, right? You were bought at a price. The life and the death of his firstborn son, Jesus, purchased us. And he takes rightful claim over our lives. Romans 8, 31, 32 says this. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, through redemption, through the giving of his firstborn son, through that blood, we have been purchased as the people of God. He's taking claim over our lives. We are the Lord's. And this is a radical statement in 2015. It's radical. We live in a society where it's all about me. Tell me I'm exaggerating. 
We live in a day and age where we are at the center of our existence. We call the shot. We are the authority. At best, even in the church, we struggle to just give God a percentage of, a, a segment of, and the rest of it is ours, right? And often we give God the rest, not the best, as if it were ours to make that kind of judgment. The world in which we live is self-saturated. It's about my body, my life, my goals, my ambitions, my dreams. And yet the Lord takes claim through Jesus that we are not our own, but we've been bought at the price. Again, back to the amazing home. This reality is on display in the lives of five sinners all the time. Me, me, me. Mine. And so, Doreen and I have been trying to remind ourselves and instill in our children a simple little paradigm that I think, again, orients us to the fact that we belong to the Lord. And we belong to one another before we even start talking about individuals. Again, in the face of an individualistic society, this comes. And it's a simple little paradigm. He, we, me. That I hope they're understanding. Life in every way, shape, or form is primarily and ultimately about he. And his claim over every aspect of our life. And then secondarily, it's about we. It's about the corporate reality. It's about community here. Individuals are going to suffer at the expense of the whole. Sometimes you will not get what you want because of the betterment of the what? Of the whole. Because primarily it's about God, secondarily it's about us as a family, and you fall in a tertiary category at best. We love you, we value you, but you're tertiary to the family and to the living God. He, we, me, because of his rightful claim over our lives. That's what the consecration of the firstborn is really all about. Every time there is a firstborn, it is a reminder. We belong to God. It's all His. The best of us, the rest of us. The first of us. Right? The Lord calls us as His own, and He calls us to remember our redemption. So the first thing is to consecrate, to, to set it apart, to give it back to God what is rightfully His, namely us, ourselves, everything about it. And next you see verse 3, remember this day which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember, there's the second command. And in the next uh, verses here, 3 through 16, we see that there are two main rituals. Did somebody say that in this church? I'm on. Two main rituals to foster remembrance. One is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which they are to do year after year, whether in the land. And the other is the consecration of the firstborn, right? Which they are to do every time we have that issue. Repeated ritual. Why? To foster memory. 
Remember this day. You need things, rhythms, of feasts, festivals, dates, because soon you're going to walk away through this desert, 40 years will go by, generations will pass, and you will get into the land, and when you get to that land that I promised you, you need to remember your redemption. And the reason that command comes to us is because we're so prone to forget it. Back to the Macy family. You will have often, probably not every 42.6 seconds, but at least daily a situation like this, where one of the adults goes, oh, shoot. And then the other adult says, what? What happened? You're like, it's not that dramatic. It is that dramatic. What happened? The other person looks at the other. I forgot. Every single day. I forgot. What'd you forget? I forgot that I had a meeting. I forgot where I put my keys. I forgot that I needed to pay the bill. I forgot. Constant forgetting. And then the other person says, what happened? And then the other person says, I got distracted. Right? There's always a dementia that goes on in my home. I forgot, I got distracted. Raise your hand if you've ever lived in that reality. Am I just nuts? Or are all you guys going to? I forgot, I got distracted, my bad. See, we're just prone to forgetting. And so we need things in our lives that remind us, post-it notes spiritually, of our redemption, of our salvation. So that's the point of what God is doing here. Memories are going to retell the story every year. It's almost like they're reenacting the divine drama of their salvation every single year. It's a time to tell the story again, to reshape our identity, to reinforce our values as the people of God. Because we forget covenant rituals serve the purpose of what? Reinforcing those things, negating spiritual dementia. And I think even as the evangelical church struggles to not be religious, that is, not just do a bunch of things and check off a list, this is helpful for us because we're people that always need to ask the question, why do we do what we do? Why? We forget the reason we're even here tonight. Right? We, we forget. We, we get detached from why. We get removed from grace. We lose sight of the gospel. And we're just going through the motions spiritually. Am I talking to anybody tonight? And we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten about Jesus. We've forgotten our redemption. And the Lord says, no, you can't do that. Generations will go by, you'll be detached from this place, there'll be no physical markers to remind you of this plague and that, you'll no longer even be around the Egyptians, you'll have a new home, a new place, and, and you're going to be prone to forgetting your redemption, and therefore prone to forgetting your identity, and beginning to live a very different way because of that. And as my people, who I've claimed to be my own, and saved at a great price, I can't let that happen. 
And so without getting into all the details of these feasts, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and the consecration of the firstborn, firstborn, I just want to point out two emphasized things here. There's the explaining of the why to a new generation in a new land. In both those things we see this. Verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day. Verse 14, when in time your son comes to you and asks you, what does this mean, you will say to him. See, that's what children do. That's what Miles did with Paul and, and Bob. That's what your children are going to ask you. What does all of this mean? That as we live in the rituals and remembrances and we worship our God, our children, another generation is going to say, why are we doing this? Why are we not holding Xbox on Sundays? This makes no sense, Dad. Why are we here listening to this guy? Talk about this for a very long time. Someone needs to explain and help this child engage that. Fathers, are you doing this at home? Husbands, are you doing this with your wives? Explaining to them the nature of your salvation. Are you connecting your family to the gospel? Or are you just living in the day to day moralism going to the motions, hoping that you do better more than you don't? And again, I think he emphasizes the way of redemption to a nation. Don't just remember that you were redeemed. Don't just remember the fact that is Yahweh saved Israel. Don't just remember the fact. Remember how it went down. How redemption goes down is significant. Not just the fact of it, that is, I'm saved, but how were you saved? How were you set free from your oppressor? You need to know how. Verse 3, for by a strong aim, the Lord brought you out. How many times do you read this? Verse 9, for with a strong hand, the Lord brought you out. And by a strong hand, verse 15, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. And specifically, that strong hand is the judgment of God that came on the most oppressive nation at that time. It made them look like sissies. Let's just call it what it is. He's strong. Pharaoh, Egypt, nothing in the face of the living God. A strong hand. Literally, do the killing of the firstborn sons of the nation. That cannot be forgotten. And the salvation, the, the blood on the door frames, the fact that it was just simply a substitutionary work, a lamb offered and killed and the blood put, that is the only difference between Israel and Egypt. Let's not make Israel look great. The only thing that made them say was their obedience and the Lord's substitute sacrifice in their place, covering their sin, identifying them with the sacrificial lamb. We cannot forget the substitutionary nature of our redemption. We can't. 
So that's it. Look, by a strong hand, he brought us out from the house of slavery. Don't forget where you came from. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. And by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out. We can never forget the substitutionary nature of our redemption. Jesus died in our place for our sin as a substitute on the cross. We can't, if we lose any of that, we got a different gospel. And so many today want to take the blood out of the message. God loves you. It's a wonderful plan for your life. Here are seven steps to effective living. Nobody wants to talk about the blood of Jesus anymore. But friends, that's the biblical gospel. That's the biblical understanding of salvation and redemption. You have to be set free by the Christ. And the Christ is what? The blood and life and death of Jesus on the cross. If we lose that, we have lost everything. So let us not forget the substitutionary nature of our redemption. That's what the firstborn uh, consecration is all about. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is all about. We must never forget our redemption. And I think that's what baptism points us to as well. These folks that have come to the waters have been claimed. And they've been redeemed. They've been set free from their sin. How? Through the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. Don't forget that, Bob. Don't forget that, Miles. It's about Jesus dying in your place. And truth be told, there's no other antidote to the poison of religion than Jesus is enough. Well, okay, I gotta do this. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. And then God will love me and bless me. Friends, no. Jesus did it. Guess what you have to do? And this is what makes the gospel so powerful. Tell me what you have to do. Focusing on the works here. Nothing. Nothing. Now, all the blessings of redemption are appropriated by faith. We must believe. Don't miss that. We must rely on Christ's work. But we don't have to work for anything. That's impossible. So, even our imperfect obedience, guess what? Is covered by His perfect obedience. His blood is sufficient. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that that's what baptism really says. That's the story that's told. I have done absolutely nothing. Jesus did it all. And that's what rituals are all about. The church calendar. Ah, man, I've been the wise man again this year. Jesus. Oh, it's Easter. Can we talk about something else? Like leadership theory? <coughs> Like, I just feel like I need to lead better. Heard the resurrection before. Oh, oh man, Lent, here we go. Right? We get all bummed out about the church year. We worship every Sunday. Like, really have to go all the time. Communion. 
Every week we do this. Why? Well, it's uh, really, you know, kind of numbing the effect. Like, do it every week, and, like, it gets really boring. Like, you know. Missional community, it's rhythm. It's a reminder of the gospel. Prayer at dinner. Talk about an annoying time. Everyone's famished, and we're like, let's pray. Why? Why are we doing this, Dad? I'm hungry. Because every time we sit at this table, it's a reminder that God gave us everything. It's not the fruit of our labors per se. It's the love of God our Father. May we not partake of this wonderful, glorious pasta, red blood, without saying it came from Jesus and thank you, Jesus, for using my mouth. Right? Just have to remember. And please, the memory here, it's all to fuel covenant faithfulness in a new generation. Right? That's identity. The covenant identity is established, and the covenant faithfulness is fueled. It's not just so that we're not stupid someday. Like, oh, really? We forgot. Ooh. Right? It's not just for that. It's so that we, it, what's inspired is covenant faithfulness. If we reinforce our covenant identity, we are the redeemed people of the Lord. Then we go, wait, then we should worship Him in a way everything that He tells us to do. And so, again, please, I understand that rituals, things that we do in each week and, and each day can become rote. But guess what? It's not because they have anything wrong with them. It's because we get detached from the why. So don't forget the why. And allow these moments, these repeated things that we do to fuel your faithfulness on God's covenant terms. It's to prompt obedience. And if we as a church, as elders, leaders, as people, just go through the motions, everyone in this room has the right to point that out. If we're telling you to do things and we're not rooting it in the gospel, if we're not pointing to grace, if we're not emphasizing penal, substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in our place for our sins, that's why we're doing this. And you blow the whistle. You have every right to do that. Maybe some things that would help you remember, and then I'm going to quit. How do we remember? I think we need to slow down in life. Finally, I figured I'd get an amen out of that. Like all the, we need to slow down because the messiness of life is distracting you. Forget why we're doing what we're doing. Reflection. Margin in our life to sit, to think, and reflect upon Jesus helps us remember. Some of you need to put the phone down for 15 seconds. Reflect on the gospel. Friends, you will forget if you're not in the scriptures. You will forget your redemption if you are not in the scriptures. Because all the messages that come in from this world, from work, from all the things that you interact with, guess what? They're going to tell you a different story about who you are. 
They're going to tell you a different story about how you can get ahead. So you need interaction with Scripture. Regularly, daily. Or else you will forget. My wife has a habit of putting three by five cards places the scriptures on it. Usually it's after I've done something wrong. Now maybe I lost my cool a little bit. Let everyone be quick to speak, quick to hear, low to speak, and so become angry. And you sit in the bath and brush your teeth like She's right. Corporate worship. Quit church. You know, it's like, ooh, really have to go quit church. Gather with the people of God. You know, the pastor's kind of long. Well, you know, it is what it is. Our hope is to remind you. Hear the preached word with the people of God. Not just, oh, I listened to a sermon this week when I was driving. Listen. Listen live sometimes. We've got to speak. There's something that is unique about that that can't be replaced. Prayer. Seeking the Lord for clarity. God, my mind is a mess. Bring me back. Bring me back. And I do think as well that serving other people is a reminder. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. And to give his life as a ransom payment for men. Right? Why do we serve? Yeah, here we are. We're back at the substitutionary work of Jesus, who gave his life as a ransom for many, which is the motive for serving. I think serving, giving of self, is a reminder that Jesus gave himself. Say, well, I got different gifts. Maybe. But I think serving reminds us. It places us in the divine drama of redemptive suffering. Doesn't it? May we never forget that we belong to our Lord. And how we have been redeemed. I think that's really what this text is getting at in the life of this nation. I think that's what baptism really reinforces for all of us. May we never forget that we belong to the Lord and that we have been redeemed by him. We never forget that. That's right. Our Lord, we confess that we often forget. We thank you for your word that is a reminder that you have claimed us as your own and that you have saved us from our sin through Jesus Christ. We ask this joy and treasure to be ours, the power of the Spirit, and all God's people said.